Welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is December 1968. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Uh, Rob, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Uh, I'm not going to abuse the shrubbery. Clint McElroy is on the show this week. Huzzah. Oh, yes. so glad to have that guy back. Yeah, uh, he, he like Mike Allred, um, he's one of the people who totally inspires me. Like yes. the, after we talked last time, I just wanted to get to work on stuff, yeah. you know, get, get creating. Yep. No, he's great. Uh, and, and, you know, talking of creating things and, and things that Clint may have had a hand in creating, uh, it's I'm sure pure coincidence. The fourth volume of the adventure zone series of graphic novels is being solicited right now, uh, in previews. So, you know, if you're hearing this, uh, tell your local comic shop that you want to order that today. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with why he's on the show, uh, this week. I think he just loves hanging out with us. Yeah. Well, he does like, uh, he does like comics quite a bit. So that also is a plus. So yeah. even if we, um, you know, sucked as people more he still might want to come on so, yeah. <laughs> yeah i you know I, I i don't have anything to back this up uh but i just i've i've had in the back of my mind ever since he came on the first time that um i think i think clint might be interested in adopting us <laughs> we're gonna become mcelroy's is that the <laughs> that would be really the shortest path to podcast success as far as i could tell so yeah that's um, like king midas uh is gonna just turn us into gold you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, he is like the Odin of podcasts. He has a pantheon <laughs> of successful podcast sons. True. So hopefully, you know, we're the next on the list. Um, anyway, Clint, uh, such a fun dude, such a knowledgeable comics fan. Um, he was actually reading these issues as they came out. Uh, so I am so looking forward to talking about them with him uh, on this episode. Yeah, it's weird to get a time traveling, you know, man on the scene. So yes, that's great. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, before we bring Clint onto the show and, and talk about the comics of December 1968 with him, uh, we're going to set the stage for what was going on in the world uh, when these issues hit the newsstands. Uh, Rob, would you like to kick us off with a little bit of rock and roll news? Heck yeah. So uh, on the 3rd of December 1968, Elvis Presley returned to American television with his first live performance in seven years. And uh, a little bit of taming to the hips. Uh, the M <laughs> NBC special was the most watched special broadcast of the 1968 holiday season in the United States. And it was credited with resurrecting the career of the king of rock and roll. Um, 
At the close of the show, Presley concluded with If I Can Dream, a song inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. So, uh, you know, it's something's happening. Very cool. Um, then, just a few days later, on the 6th of December, the Rolling Stones released the album Beggar's Banquet, which contained the classic song Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, yeah. I love that song. Also, a lot of references to, uh, you know, the civil rights movement and other things going on within that song. Yeah, very topical. Um, did you did you ever guess his name? I still like to this day. I'm, I, I I'm not. I've never been a hundred percent sure of, of who that is. Uh, Based on a weird Tom Cruise movie, I'm guessing it's the Vampire Lestat, but I'm think, not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that that makes sense. Probably a vampire. Probably yeah. a Dracula. Yep. Uh, well, on, on the 15th of December, 1968, uh, fans of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, which is an NFL team, Rob. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were uh, watching the final home game in a season where the team only won twice. Uh, <laughs> they were so upset that they booed and then threw snowballs at Santa Claus, earning the city a reputation as having <laughs> the most boorish sports supporters in the nation. Ah, oh, Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> well, uh, so totally different tangent. On the 17th of December, the ordeal of Barbara Mackle began when the 20-year-old daughter of a millionaire family was kidnapped at gunpoint and then buried alive while her captors awaited a ransom payment. Holy uh, moly. <laughs> Mackle was rescued alive after 83 hours inside a ventilated box that had been buried 18 inches underground, about one mile from Berkeley Lake, Georgia. Kidnapper Gary Christ had directed law enforcement to the area by telephone after receiving a $500,000 ransom, and Mackle's pounding was heard by the rescuers. Uh, Christ was captured two days later at Hog Island off the coast of Florida. His accomplice, Ruth Eisman Shire, would elude capture until March 5, 1969. Sentenced to life imprisonment for kidnapping, Chris would be pardoned in 1979 with the approval of Mackle, who would later go to medical school and become a physician in Crisney, Indiana. Yeah, I, I did not see that twist coming. No, um, uh, yeah, that yeah. sounds. It sounds like the most terrible, you know, whatever hostile horror movie, um, you know, Saw 27. But uh, uh, to have that work out. And you know there it obvious it was obvious he wasn't necessarily trying to kill but but I mean putting somebody in the ground for eighty three hours yeah that's gonna do a little damage he was at least open to the possibility of it yeah that's going to mess somebody's mind up forever yeah yeah I don't uh. think so um, well on the eighteenth of December uh, U S President Lyndon Johnson became the latest of thousands of Americans to be hospitalized because of the 1968 flu pandemic and was admitted to the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland. On the same day, U.S. Vice President Hubert Humphrey canceled planned speaking engagements after contracting the H3N2 flu strain and became bedridden while visiting Phoenix. During the epidemic between July 1968 and March 1969, the worst since the flu epidemic of 1957, more than 750,000 around the world as well as 30,000 in the UK and 33,800 in the US died from complications of the influenza strain. Wow. Which I, like. I yeah, I, it's like, I, I think we've, we've mentioned maybe the 68 flu before, but I, 
until we did this podcast, I had no idea that was a thing and it was as serious as it was. Yeah. And I, and until, you know, COVID 19 started uh, making some rounds and doing a lot more damage. I was unaware of a number of these historical flu pieces. My dad uh, mentioned the 68 flu to me recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just no big deal because nobody really reported on it. Uh, (laughs) So uh, as we eke towards Christmas of 1968 on the 20th, um, high school students Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday were shot and killed while parked along Lake Herman Road near Benicia, California, becoming the first confirmed victims of Ted Cruz, the Zodiac Killer. For six months, police had no leads until a man claiming to be the killer called them from a pay telephone. Uh, in late July, after another murder, three San Francisco area newspapers would receive a letter that began, Dear Editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman. To prove this, I shall state some facts which only I, plus the police, know. Each of the three letters included a piece of a 408-symbol cryptogram, And on August 7th, the killer would write again with the words, this is Zodiac speaking. In the 50 years after the killings, no person would ever be tried for the Zodiac killings. Yeah. So this is interesting to me because I always had thought that the Nick Fury villain uh, that Steranko introduced, Zodiac, was named after the Zodiac killer. Mm -hmm. And... Apparently that is not the case because Zodiac didn't get going until this point where we've already seen him in the comics. But um, Hmm. is Jim Steranko the Zodiac killer? Is he in league with Ted Cruz? A very young Ted Cruz, however. But Mm -hmm. still, I think these are things that we should spin up on our new True-ish Crime podcast. We're just asking questions here. We're just asking questions. (laughs) On the 21st of December... 1968, at 10.47 a.m., Apollo 8 became the first manned space vehicle to break out of Earth's orbit, and the three American astronauts on board, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Anders, went further from Earth than any people in history. The date had been selected so that the mission would be able to view the Sea of Tranquility when it was in lunar sunrise, and the long shadows would allow the crew to photograph the future landing site when it was in sharp topographic relief. One day after launch, astronaut Frank Borman vomited well in orbit. <laughs> uh, the day after taking a dose of the barbiturate drug Secanol, leaving the three astronauts with the task of the floating particles in a weightless environment. <laughs> Love a good space barf story. Uh, in order to keep NASA from ordering the mission to be aborted before the spacecraft could pass the point where it could return without a slingshot trip around the moon, Borman waited for a while to report that he was ill and sent a taped message back to Earth. Not all heroes wear capes. Uh, on December 24th, Borman, Lovell, and Anders flew past the moon, became the first people to see its far side, and made minor course corrections to begin mankind's first lunar orbit. Wow. So there we go. We are almost to the moon. Um, yeah. All very exciting. Uh, so that's that's what was going on in the world in December 1968. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we are going to bring Clint McElroy onto the show. The Odin of podcasts. <laughs> so don't go away. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Rob, we are recording this after our conversation with Clint McElroy, 
and it was a blast. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for the folks listening to hear what he had to say about Fantastic Four number 84 and Thor number 161. But unfortunately, if they are hearing this message, that means they're not going to hear us talk about Captain America number 111 by Stan Lee and Jim Steranko. Yeah, that that one's for the Patreon subscribers. But the good news is that it's really easy to become one of those. Just go to patreon.com slash Marvel by the month and support us at the $4 a month level to hear the uncut version of this episode, plus a bunch of other great stuff. Yes. Patreon subscribers get access to our subscriber only Patreon podcast feed that includes extended versions of our main episodes, as well as our omnibus companion episodes where we talk about all the other issues that Marvel released each month. And best of all, you don't have to listen to us nag you to join the Patreon on those episodes. What more could you want? (laughs) Each and every week, Patreon subscribers get more than an hour of content that you can't hear anywhere else. Plus, you're first to know about upcoming announcements and events. So sign up at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month to instantly get access to all of our past, present and future subscriber exclusive content. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the month. We are so excited to have this week's guest back on the show. The last time he was on, we talked about the first appearance of Galactus and literally just about everything else comics related. (laughs) Uh, He is a radio legend in Huntington, West Virginia, a host and co-creator of the Adventure Zone podcast, and a comics writer whose credits include The Green Hornet, War of the Realms, Journey into Mystery, and Three Ninjas Kickback, Clint McElroy. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you, Brian, for bringing up Three Ninjas Kickback. Clint, it's such an honor and a pleasure to have you back on Marvel by the Month. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here. Good to see you and... You and Rob, and to hear your friendly voices. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and uh, first of all, we understand that congratulations are in order on the birth of your newest grandchild. Yes, I have a new grandchild. His name is uh, August Clinton McElroy. I like oh. that middle name. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I dig that one a lot. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Gus, uh, Justin, and and his wife Rachel had their second boy, and he's. He's really uh, putting mom and dad through the paces. Yeah. Uh, he's not not big fan of the whole sleeping thing. So, um, <laughs> but I got to go down there. It was my first road trip well, since COVID. So I uh, got to go down and see them and see him. And so it was, he's pretty cool. He's a pretty <laughs> cool kid. He's got a great name. So yeah. Yeah. How, how's his, uh, how's his radio voice so far? Uh, he is loud. He is quite <laughs> loud. Uh, he is. He concentrates on like one syllable words, like ah. <laughs> that's been his go-to. Uh, that's kind of his catchphrase. Yeah. yeah. He's he's so, developing the pipes. You that's know. it. Yeah. And we're going to market that on a series of T-shirts and. <laughs> uh, has his, his uh, debut podcast been announced yet, or is that something uh, no. we off on? Yeah. We usually wait till three months. Uh huh. Yep. To, to break out a new podcast. So sure. um, it, it's funny. We just did a um, we did a uh, an episode of of the Adventure Zone uh, uh, in which. <laughs> Justin's daughter, Charlie Gale, created the dungeon that we crawled through. And it's, I don't want to spoil anything else about it, but it's, 
nuts. It's fun. So uh, we, we've already got that. Uh, we've already got that uh, established. That that's that's going to happen. Fantastic. Um, well, it, it, thank you for that very organic transition. Uh, you've got another baby about to come into this world. The fourth volume of the Adventure Zone graphic <laughs> novel series, uh, The Crystal Kingdom. Uh, could you give our listeners an idea what this one's about? Uh, it's everyone, every arc. So every issue of the graphic novel, it's been a little bit different. The first one, uh, Gerblins, was kind of a dungeon crawl, as I mentioned earlier. Second was a murder mystery. Uh, the third one was kind of a fast and furious pedals to the metal. The fourth one is kind of a sci-fi alien type, you know, atmosphere, uh, that really kind of started cranking up the whole, um, backstory, the, the mythos of, of everything that, that Griffin had developed and, uh, really starts getting a little bit more dense, uh, a little more consequences, uh, a little bit more background <laughs> revealed. We're really excited about it. And a lot of pink, a lot of pink, because the crystal in this case is like pink tourmaline. And so everything is very, very pink. So <laughs> brace yourself for that. But Carrie Peach did an amazing job on it. And, um, and we're really excited about it coming out. Nice, yeah. nice. Uh, how much of the the planning and the writing for this one did you do uh, during quarantine? And did that create additional challenges or do you and the guys pretty much have your process locked in at this point? Um, well, no, it really, uh, our, our process is pretty locked in. We actually have spent most of quarantine uh, working on uh, five. Oh, wow. Uh, or, yeah. So, I mean, because, it, you know, we try to work as far ahead as we can, you know, to give Carrie know some time so uh we've been working on five quite a bit uh here lately but yeah we've got a nice little kind of system worked out we we start off with a pretty in-depth uh, outline that that is really beat by beat uh, and and as we've progressed through the books we found those outlines getting longer and and more exact and that makes it a little easier for us when it comes to making decisions about what to keep in from the, you know, the audio of the podcast and, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And it gives us a chance to kind of revise, to emphasize storylines that we want to push. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's been a, a nice process for us. And, and we, you know, we all, we all work remotely anyway, because I'm in one place, Justin's in another, Travis, in another, Griffin's in another. So when we do the podcast, it kind of lends itself to, to the process. So we, kind of proceed from that. And then we do a lot of revisions. We, we take a lot of passes at it, you know, put jokes in, take jokes out, put in story beats, take them out. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, we, we've got the, the machinery pretty well oiled by this point. Nice. Well, we should mention that Adventure Zone Volume 4, The Crystal Kingdom, is being solicited in previews right now, right. Uh, which means that this is the perfect time to tell your local comic shop uh, that you want a copy when it hits the stands in July. And multiple copies because it's a great gift giving. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you're gonna need you're gonna need a copy of the soft cover. You're gonna need a copy of the hard cover. And yep. special edition. Yep. Uh -huh. Yep. So yeah. Oh, and uh, and since we are recording this uh, on the first day of the 2021 Max Fun Drive, 
uh, I thought might be worth mentioning uh, when you're ordering the Adventure Zone, um, you could also ask your local comic shop to order you a copy of the Bubble graphic novel. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, which I saw was uh, it, it's uh, it's based on the scripted uh, sci-fi audio comedy series by Jordan Morris, your fellow Max Fun podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that was being solicited uh, not just at the same time, but uh, by the same publisher. And I, th- I think both books are coming out on the same day. So yeah, we love the competition. Now <laughs> uh, nah, we 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 love the the bubble folks, and and we're excited to see how they both do. We we've, we've done a couple of promo things with them together that have been a lot of fun. So yeah, we nice. I can't wait to read it myself. Yeah, very cool. We're looking forward to both of those. Um, well, uh, so we, we've got our, our plugs out of the way. Not that we won't come back to them uh, later <laughs> on in the show. Uh, but I thought uh, maybe we could get rolling uh, talking about some old-timey comics. Yeah, uh, by Cracky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's talk about Fantastic Four number 84, the name is Doom. Uh, <laughs> it's by Stan Lee. <laughs> Jack the Kirby. best titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is with Joseph at Inking, so it's a, still our dream team on the FF. Uh, so the quick-ish summary, but jump in anytime. As the FF depart the Inhumans' great refuge in a gyro ship that Black Bolt loaned them, they're intercepted by S.H.I.E.L.D. before they can even get home. So Nick Fury tells them that one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s top agents suddenly disappeared after reporting a, quote, strange and secret army somewhere in Europe. Uh, The agent managed to smuggle out a robotic arm which comes to life and attacks S.H.I.E.L.D. and the FF before Johnny can blow it up. Uh, Reed agrees to help Fury investigate the agent's disappearance because otherwise he'd have to go home and be with his wife and newborn son who still doesn't have a name. Yeah. Uh, The most unbelievable thing that ever happened in the Marvel Universe (laughs) is that they didn't have the kid's name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, we see what happened to Fury's agent, and he's trying to escape through the catacombs of a castle. Uh, Just when it seems like he's reached freedom, it's snatched away from him by Dr. Doom. There he is. Yep. Doom loves his subjects so dearly that he won't let any of them leave. Uh, And he zaps (laughs) the agent, uh, leaving him for his robot army to carry back to the castle. So, we start to get this... uh, this idea that you know we're in we're in Doom's Doom's house. So uh, mm-hmm. the FF attempt to just drive into Latveria through a communist occupied Central European country, and and uh, apparently from like twenty years earlier because it looks like the forties. Yeah, <laughs> yes. In whatever yeah, he, country, Jack will jump back into the forties at. Any provocation. Yeah. You know, he's got like a sketch pad from from wartime, too. So he's just like (laughs) referencing something. Uh, (laughs) So um, even the commies try to warn them that it's a really bad idea, uh, but they've got a job to do. So they head in. Foolish Americans. (laughs) They're like, no one ever comes out. They go over those hills and never come out. So. Uh, as the FF cross the border into Latveria, their car flies apart, like just explodes apart uh, thanks to a magnetized roadway and Doom's robots subdue them and carry them away under Doom's orders. So With a snap of a freaking finger. 
They yeah. just, it's not hard at all for the Doombots <laughs> to beat up the Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. yeah. They they get the jump on them, and it is over before it even begins. And Reed um, was trying to be cool and just get captured, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, because he knows that they need to get captured to find out what's going on. But Johnny, you know, Crystal gets threatened. Johnny loses his temper. Normal FF yeah. dynamics. Uh you know, yeah. Ben wants to clobber, but he gets gassed. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> gassed. they're they're totally ready to take them down. Like, Doom has thought about this every yeah. day of his life <laughs> since the last time they met. And, and the ingenious <laughs> the ingenious tactic of putting a blindfold on Crystal. That's how they're going to subdue Crystal. <laughs> yeah. Put a blindfold on her. Yeah. <laughs> One of those powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. Um, yeah. What? Uh, One of the things that I was really struck, like, as we were getting you know, as they're getting ready to enter Latveria is that at this point in Marvel history, we've never seen Latveria. Yeah. Um, like this is, it's a total mystery. You have no idea what to expect. I mean, you, you've seen doom brooding in his castle. You've seen, you know, this, the bit at the beginning of the story where, you know, the shield agent is, is captured uh, and recovered, but I mean, you're not seeing anything of the town. You have no idea what to expect here. Yeah. Um, so, it sets up for a really nice reveal, um, which I believe Rob's about to take. I us am. To. Uh, so uh, first of all, the FF awaken uh, not in a dungeon, which is what you would expect in the giant, you know, castle, but in luxurious European beds, and it's like a bed and breakfast in the middle of a charming <laughs> little village. Uh, and as the FF try to puzzle out what's going on, we see that Doom has them under surveillance, of course. Um, sure. And he's, quote, hypnotically drained them of their powers. <sighs> they realize that they have to come up with ways because you're talking about one of the strongest creatures, a being of fire, a mannequin stretch, a, a, female, a woman with, you know, elemental powers. But, well, I'll just hypnotize him. Yep. Why didn't he ever try that again? <laughs> <laughs> Doom only executes a plan once. I guess it's, so. He's he, also he, like a writer. He tries to, you know, shift what he's doing the <laughs> next time. Got to yeah. keep it fresh. It's jazz. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he so he intends with his, you know, they're drained of their powers and he want, he plans on keeping them trapped and helpless in Latveria for the rest of their lives. Uh, <laughs> so that's his plan. And as the villagers celebrate Fantastic Four Fiesta Day, I love that oh. Fiesta popped in there. Um, with, their, with their conveniently uh, English uh, signs that they yes. use. Uh, they have a brass band, and you know, just like a oh. crowd out there cheering for them. And Reed decides <laughs> he's had enough and forces Doom to reveal that the village's happy facade is just a false front. So he makes a quick dash for the border and is zapped by a stun blast. And a drone with Doom's face on it delivers the chilling warning. Very foolish of you, citizen. You activated the automatic sentry device. This will be your first and last warning. Nobody ever leaves Latveria. You will remain here and be eternally happy, or else you die. So uh, that's how we wrap. <laughs> and then up a giant weather part. balloon comes, grabs number six, takes yeah. him back to the village. Yes, um, I love the "or else you die." It sounds very much like Ward Cleaver telling Bieber, "We're going to Crystal Lake and we're going to have fun." <laughs> yeah. No. So. Clint, you just made the reference I was going to make. So, I mean, this is the prisoner. I mean, yeah, this is like uh, Kirby apparently was a huge fan of the series. Um, it had just 
started airing in America, I think like six months before this issue came out. So right around the time that Kirby started, you know, doing the art for this, it, it would have been out for, you know, probably he might have seen a handful of episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many, like the, the village is obviously the village from mm-hmm. the prisoner. Um, um. Like you've got, uh, you know, the uh, the brass band um, in the street is something that Spell- shows up. Spelling out script Latveria. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, they're they're it's a this tiny little mysterious village in an undisclosed location. Everything seems to be great, but there's a darker secret there. No one who's there can ever leave. They're all under surveillance, um, and it's just like. I, I kind of love how omnivorous Kirby was with his influences. It's like, oh, that sounds good. I'm just going to yoink. Uh, yeah. And it's perfect for Doom. Like, of yeah. course, Doom sure. Doom runs a town that you can never leave and you must be happy or die. Um, that's just Doom. That's yeah. classic Doom. And, <laughs> and to be fair, it's that once they get into Latveria and wake up in, in the luxurious chalet or villa or whatever it is, that's what really makes it very unique. You know, yeah. you, you, you didn't see things like that in comics. My, one of my favorite elements of it is the fact that they're awakened by uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger from Santa Claus is Coming to Town playing a little xylophone. Breakfast <laughs> <Yep. laughs> is served. Yeah. Hey, what? Scones? Um, uh, that it, it really looks really cool. And then all the... The people, the, the brilliance of Kirby is the fact that you could look at the people. I can, I mean, now it hit me reading it back this time that, you know, you can almost see that the people's faces are, yes, we're very yeah. happy. And, and the, the facade of that. Um, and Doom is, is such a great character. It, you guys would know this. How many times had he appeared in the series? I mean, obviously, very early on, but yeah, this wasn't his first appearance, you know, in in eighty four issues. No, no. I mean, no, after, no, no, no. After the yeah. first one, so let's see. Wasn't there a time travel? There's arc? a Ramatut meeting at one point. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. been a, but he's been sort of absent with uh, from FF, but he popped up like uh, sure. in, yeah. in Daredevil, and we learned about his diplomatic immunity. So uh, yeah. you have a few. Which is a great place. You're going to learn about the legal uh, ramifications of Doom from Matt Murdock. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but he's, yeah, he's been kind of absent from FF for a while. They've been sort of saving up for this, I think. Yeah, the last time he showed up in FF was like exactly two years ago at this point. Um, okay. And that was at the end of the Cosmic Doom story where he steals a Silver Surfer's power. <laughs> Which um, is great. And then, yeah, but it, there was a time, I want to say like between, you know, issues like 15 and 50 maybe um, where he was showing up a lot. Like he, he was kind of the, you know, the villain yeah, two or three times a year, doom would show up. And then it seems like there was a real intentional decision to just pull way back on doom um, because we haven't seen him for a year. And that was his daredevil appearance. And then it was a year before that, that he was in fantastic four. So there's definitely like, and, and the doom that we're getting now is, uh, it's much closer to the doom that we we now recognize. You know that this you know this monarch, this you know Orwellian figure in his home country. Um, you know this Machiavellian plotter, um, not 
just a devil worshiping uh, scientist who has a cool suit of armor. You know, yeah, that's kind of what he had been prior to this. So, yeah, he's filling well, out dimensionally. You know, yeah. he, he although he was already a great villain, he just is becoming a great character at this point. <laughs> Uh, this story also features, this will be a little trivia for you. Mm. This story features my all-time, all-favorite Marvel character. Oh. Timothy Aloysius Cadwallader Dum Dum Dugan. Mm. <laughs> I love Dum Dum Dugan. And if it weren't for Rick Jones, Dum Dum Dugan would be the most put upon character in the Marvel universe. <laughs> yep. He's died. He's come back. He's been been an LMD. Even in this story, you, you said in in your encapsulation that uh, the the Doombot arm attacks Fury and the FF. No, he <laughs> attacked Dum Dum. <laughs> right. He the Doombot arm. Just knocks Dum Dum <laughs> off his keister yep. and then flies around before, you know, Johnny blasted. But poor Dum Dum is the one that gets hit and then ends up having to sweep up the wreckage <laughs> of the <laughs> arm true. while everybody else goes off, ah, mission time. And Dum Dum, don't worry, I've got it. I'll oh, man. I'll sweep I love up Dumb the Dumb pieces. Dude. Yep. Yeah. Man, you, you you think that you know after getting the nickname Dum Dum, that should really be the end of it. But um, no, no, they're just going to keep piling on. He couldn't give up. Couldn't nope. give up. Yeah, but uh, this this story, I feel like Fantastic Four has been sort of treading water um, for a little bit here. I think it, it was a series that was really dependent on Kirby's innovation, um, mm-hmm. like you know coming up with the new concept, coming up with a Silver Surfer, coming up with the Inhumans, you know. Uh, it was a comic where it, w- you you read it for the spectacle of it to see what the next thing that he was going to roll out was going to be. Um, and I feel like once he kind of turned off the spigot of new ideas, I think of all the stuff he was doing, FF suffered the most from it because um, then we were just sort of retreading, you know, and then you realize, well, that's not actually why I'm reading Fantastic Four. I'm more interested in you know, when the next Annihilus is going to show up. Yeah. Um, when I turn this page and it literally takes my breath away um, yeah. because it's something just that it was previously inconceivable to my brain. Like that's, yeah. that's what Kirby did a lot of in FF. Right. Um, he's and, doing and some this, of that in Thor, you know, we'll, and we'll talk about that. Right. But, but, and, and the epic stuff, this is a much more intimate story, mm-hmm. a much more, I mean, it really uh, kind of smacked of, you know, talk about influences on it. I don't know if he was a Mission Impossible fan, but it's the part where Fury basically says, you know, your mission, Mr. Richards, if you choose to accept it, is to sneak into Liberia and find out about this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> your FF force are caught or killed, you'll be replaced with LMDs. But uh, <laughs> it's very much... Uh, uh, intrigue and espionage and then them sneaking into Latveria and their civvies. It's all played pretty intimate, all played pretty close. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just wonder how, if people reacted like, like you were, you said, man, we just, especially coming off of the whole series before this with the Inhumans, because that was full of huge epic, you know, machinery and action and Maximus and, and all these great, you know, things. And the only thing that really kind of st- stands out from this one that way is that that first, you 
a title page with mm-hmm. the, a gyro, whatever it was, gyro <laughs> ship. Yeah. Um, yes. But you got to figure the garage at the Baxter building was just jam packed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I think, I mean, it does come across as less spectacle, but it's, but this is, this feels like a real story. Like this feels like it's inspired, like Kirby's inspired. And I think Mm -hmm. to, you know, to the point of, you know, the prisoner and like he's inspired by television and other media at this point and, and bringing that in, but it's in a different style than his normal big giant splashy spectacle. And it works really well, of course, because he's Kirby. Like you mm-hmm. can do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it's like one of the more interesting things we've seen in probably six months of, of, you know, we had some really bad lulls in fantastic four uh, as the inhumans so, sort of tr- trickled out epilogue wise. And then um, not a lot of other things getting to, you know, getting to Franklin um, or I feel like they're, unnamed they're, they're, child being born. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> child tbd uh I, I feel like there was there's been a lot of um fighting anonymous androids uh in the last year or so of, of FF. <laughs> yeah. um, it's more like an iron oh, man the, thing yeah the alpha primitives in uh yeah, in, yeah. In, in humans and yeah. in the doom bots here wow. yeah it's uh so yeah that's kind of the way it's gone i do feel like this issue is i i think you're absolutely right rob i think there is like some inspiration at work here and also it just it does a really good job of sort of um, setting up mysteries and then subverting expectations like over and over and over. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know that doom is going to be in the story. Um, you don't know when or how he's going to show up. Um, and when he does show up, you know, of course it's with a big, brilliant full page splash. Um, and uh, you know, just like yanking the, the promise of freedom away from this poor shield agent who <laughs> he. This it looks wait. like he looks like Michael Douglas in the Ant Man movie. He does, yeah. yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but then and you've also got the you know okay, uh, you know why is Shield forcing them down? Why do they need to intercept them and talk to them? Um, well, then you get this story about this agent who's gone missing, and then Fury pulls out this robot arm. You're like, okay, what's up with this? And then it comes to life and starts punching people. And you're like, well, okay. one person, yeah, yeah, uh, well, just one person. One person. <laughs> Poor Timothy Aloysius Cadwallader <laughs> And how did the guy get the robot arm out of the country? Yeah, he couldn't get himself out of the country, but he was able to get this robot arm out. So. FedEx is this tech. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or may, uh, maybe Doom wanted it to go, you know, because that was the thing that was going to get the FF in there. So, yeah, he's a master planner. Yep. So. And Not I think, the master and planner. I, I'll be honest with you. and I, I think it... it um, Anytime you've got the the byplay between Reed and Ben and Johnny, it's good. And, yeah. and you had that. And and but I think they miss Sue. I think that mm-hmm. having, because Crystal really is a non entity in this story, except yes. as as uh, a threat. That's yep. one of the reasons why they don't try to escape is because oh, it must be holding Crystal prisoner, and uh, and then she shows up at the brass band parade. Um, <laughs> So I, I, you know, I, I kind of miss, you know, Sue's presence. Yeah. Um, and, and she, I mean, she doesn't, at least in the issue before, I think they cut to a scene of her with the baby. Yeah. yeah. Three I panels. I don't even think she, yeah. She, yeah, she didn't even show up in, in, in this one. So, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I really like this story quite a bit and I can mm-hmm. remember reading it, you know, and, and, and enjoying it. Um, 
but you know, I, I agree. I think Jack was trying something different, showing his inspirations. You know, everybody, he was a huge movie fan. He loved 2001. Yeah. Um, you know, and always wanted to, and ended up being able to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Comic book form. But uh, yeah, I, I, a great story, but gosh, <clears throat> a little dated. Yeah. yeah. Yes. A little, a little, <laughs> Just, a little bit dated, but that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. Yep. It's very much of its era. Um, talking of uh, Kirby adaptations of things he loved, uh, apparently Kirby and Gil Kane were going to do a prisoner adaptation for Marvel Comics in the really? 70s. They actually did a full first issue of it, and then the plug got pulled on it. But um, I think Titan Books, maybe like three years ago, um, just published like a nice hardcover edition of that first issue, just the you know the pencils and the and and I think the dialogue. Um, but I'll have to check that out because I'm a huge Gil Kane fan. I mean, yes, yeah. yes. Gil Kane sneezed into a napkin. I would want to buy it on eBay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, can yeah. we also, I would like to mention somebody here too that I'm sure you guys have, have mentioned before. Um, but the anchor on this, Jack Sinat. Sinat? Sinat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sinat is just one of my favorite anchors of all time. I think yeah. he, uh, I think he really... As opposed to like Vince Coletta, I think that Senate really brings out the best in Kirby. I think a lot of the detail he really brings out. And Lord, he had one of the longest runs that anybody's ever had uh-huh. on Fantastic Four. And I just don't know if he gets enough credit. It, to me, Kirby lived and died with his inker. Yes. Um, and I think that, that, that Senate really really made a difference in this book and in it and in everything he did. He was such a craftsman. Um, yeah. To me, Kirby and Sinnott, uh, I didn't know this till we were doing this podcast, but uh, like Mike Allred is my, my favorite current artist and uh, his style is very reflective of those or he, he with Laura working too, especially is very much like that style where care. There's these clear outlines and definitions on people mm-hmm. Um there, there, there's thick strokes sometimes around uh, objects or people, but to me, that's like what the superhero comic style is, and it was defined by this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And and it's really that combo, and I didn't know it until we've been going through this. But when and when we jump to Thor, uh, as we do every month, we see you know Vince Coletta inking, and it's like sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. And it's wow. varies all the time and it's, there's no consistency like, like what yeah, your I, Senate does. Yeah. I got Coletta opinions. <laughs> yeah, me oh, too. Yeah. I'll say, <laughs> me I'll too. say for the Thor segment. <laughs> and we had some Avengers runs with Don Heck pencils and Coletta inking and I'm like, oh God. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Cool. Yep. That's, that's, <laughs> that's deadly. Right yeah. <laughs> well, and, and also talking of Senate, um, I want to give him a lot of credit for, can after, Kirby leaves FF. Uh, I think Sinnott is one of the reasons that it remains a readable book um, because he stays the anchor for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And it gives it a consistency that I think, I mean, it's, it's not nearly as good after Kirby is gone um, or it just becomes a different thing. You know, did Buscema, did Buscema immediately follow Kirby? Uh, I'm trying to remember if he was right away or if he did settle into it. Um, but they, I mean, I, I think there's no book in the Marvel publishing, you know, pantheon that that has had 
higher ups and lower lows than Fantastic Four, you know, and just, you know, I guess any book that, you know, has that long of a run, you're going to get some of that. But, you know, there's, you know, there's some periods where, especially I want to say like late 70s, where FF is almost unreadable. Um, and then, you know, then you get Byrne coming back and Simonson's run was right. great and, you know, things like that. So. Yeah, I think I started reading FF in the late 70s as a little kid and uh i was um that was not my my dad still loved the book and i was like i don't really care for it 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 seems like it's just trying to sell sell me an action figure that doesn't exist at that point you know that's (laughs) uh that's what it felt like and it just didn't didn't do it but um but then i you know this the doing reading all these from the beginning has been eye-opening for what ff means and and it really is the centerpiece of the universe that everybody knows now so it's weird that they've been out on their own cinematically but hopefully that'll change someday yeah uh well talking about the universe uh should we take a quick break and then uh take a voyage out there and see what thor is up to this month yeah (laughs) all right we'll be right back here on marvel by the month Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We're going to talk about Thor number 161. The story is called Shall a God Prevail? It's uh, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, inked by the one and only Vince <laughs> Coletta. Uh, I will uh, give us a quick summary here. Please feel free to jump in uh, at any point. So in the last issue, uh, Thor and the Recorder got caught in the middle of a cosmic battle between Galactus and Ego, the living planet, and their spaceship was destroyed. They were trying to reach Galactus to stop him before he could destroy the homeworld of the Rigelians, who were the ones who built the recorder, uh, and more importantly for Thor, prevent Galactus from moving on to Asgard. Uh, they wind up getting picked up by a nomadic race of aliens called the Wanderers, who were refugees of a world that Galactus destroyed long ago. Um, so as Ego and Galactus are trading these galaxy-shaking cosmic blasts, Thor and the recorder come into the Wanderer's ship, uh, they want to join uh, the quest to battle Galactus as revenge for their homeworld's destruction. Uh, unfortunately for them, they get exactly what they asked for. Uh, their ship is pummeled by planetoids that have been sent soaring through the cosmos by the battle between Galactus and Ego. And so uh, Galactus has Ego on the ropes because, you know, Ego's a planet. And we know what Galactus does to planets. <laughs> Uh, but Thor says nay to that. He hurls Mjolnir at the big G, uh, and it doesn't stop Galactus, but he says, for the first time in a millennium, my limbs have tasted pain. (laughs) (laughs) Ow. Ah. say ow. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Oh, verbiage heavy. Yeah. Uh, And now Thor has got Galactus's attention. Um, so, uh, Thor launches himself at Galactus, uh, who, grabs him and chucks him at Ego. Uh, and then Ego gives Thor a soft landing and teleports him back to uh, the Wanderer's ship. Uh, and then Thor and the Wanderers quickly whip up a stand for Mjolnir out of the parts of the Wanderer's crippled ship. And then Thor blasts Galactus with uh, such an overwhelming surge of energy that Galactus is forced to retreat rather than perish. Um, so that's good. Uh, but what's to be done with the wanderers, uh, because their ship now is ruined and the surface of ego is totally inhospitable to them. But, uh, ego says that's no big deal. Uh, he terraforms itself, uh, into a land that can support the wanderers. I mean, it's literally the least that ego can do for the folks who saved him from Galactus. Um, 
and it seems like we've got a pretty happy ending. So that's the plot. It's it's a very plot light issue. Um, oh yeah! <laughs> but holy moly, uh, the visual spectacle of this thing. Well, we were just talking about you know Kirby's strength was the spectacle. Yeah, and, and the mind blowing imagery, and this this is loaded with it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't kill yourself trying to follow the story. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't spend too much time, which is exactly what the three of us have done. Yeah. But you're Jew readers, gentle readers, don't spend too much time trying to make sense of the story because it's that's not why this story exists. It's to blow you away with how amazing it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Kirby's telling a big story here, uh, and he's using big panels to do it. I, I think last issue, uh, five of the 20 pages were full page splashes, and this one, he, he like ups seven? that by one. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's at least seven, or at least six. Um, I, I, I mean, think I was with, the big, with the two-page spread collage, it's seven. So That's it's, wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's... But he's, it's justified. He has to. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, if you look at it from a storytelling sense, you have to have those big, big visuals. I mean, it, it's not like in the Fantastic Four issue we were talking about where he does one whole page of a close up of Dr. Doom holding mm-hmm. his Doom Tech phaser and the Doom bots behind him, which was cool. But that mm-hmm. was a pinup. That was right, basically right. a pinup. But in these, it's it's justified because to just show the scope of what he's he's talking about. Um, it, it's impressive to look at. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, I have some issues with the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, please go ahead. <laughs> well, um, the, the whole thing, um, I, I guess my, one of my biggest issues, it's the little things. And, and I know you can't get hung up on this and I hate being that guy. <laughs> But they're out floating in in the very beginning of the story. The recorder and Thor are floating in, quote, the icy, inky emptiness. And 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 then they they cut to this. That's the photo collage page, isn't it? Yes. The two and three. (laughs) And it takes your breath away. Yeah. Um, But that that emptiness is full of stuff yeah, yeah. There's, there's no empty space there's in no Marvel. empty space there's <laughs> there's a bingo cage in there there's <laughs> there's a, a an insides of a watch and and don't get me wrong please i'm i'm poking a little bit of fun but it's really cool to see and mm-hmm, and yeah. and that's the whole purpose for the story because in that emptiness the the wanderers then use a vacuum cylinder to suck them in to the ship, even though it's, there's no air. (laughs) Um, But, but then before you get a chance to even register that you get another splash page of ego fighting Galactus. And it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. This thing is wild. Yeah. We we've talked about it before and I don't even know if, 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 if they can still do it, but one of the things that I think movies took away from printed comics is the fact that now they can do those amazing, massive special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
you know, I, I just rewatched uh, the Doctor Strange movie, and the Dormammu and that dimension is 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 so cool to see. But I don't even know if 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 movies today can do this kind of thing. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, with the, the just the the scope of it, and would just look, you know, so. I, 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 hollow. I, I don't know. Maybe they can. I mean, I didn't think they'd be able to do the things in movies that they can, they can do today. And of course, you know, if the Eternals movie ever comes out, maybe we'll see. Yeah. Somebody can do a Kirby universe. Um, but you know, how do you make Galactus look small? You put him up against a planet, right? <laughs> uh, um, uh, but you know, it, it is all there for the spectacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, honest to God, does not, the, the story does not hold up to, to very much scrutiny. Not <laughs> no. at all. No. no. Um, it, it, this is, it's, it's really, it's just, you know, it's the classic story of a planet versus a planet eater versus a god. <laughs> yeah, a, a tale I'm, as old as time. Yep. A, a planet eater that in previous incarnations was the most unstoppable, untouchable, yeah. undefeatable force in the Marvel universe. I mean, he was basically, that G stood for God. Yep. Let's face it. Absolutely. And Fantastic Four couldn't touch him. Silver Surfer couldn't touch him. They they rig up a batting tee for Mjolnir <laughs> and Thor blasts him. Yeah. Not, yeah. Just, not just blast him, but blast him and almost kills him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thor should have taken that batting tee with him forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Handle um, any problem from there on out. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, you know, obviously Galactus, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you, how do you solve a problem like Galactus? Um, <laughs> so I think that, that, you know, but if you, but every time something like that happens where you're going, well, I don't know. There's a thing where um, uh, Galactus, thinks he's got ego on the ropes and ego manifests these giant energy tentacles. Oh yeah. That, mm-hmm. that grab Galactus. Oh boy. He's in trouble now. So uh, they cut back to the wanderer ship and, and Thor um, scene. You mentioned him getting, getting pummeled by the planetoids mm-hmm. and uh, there's another great splash of Thor, which is a pinup. Mm-hmm. Been in the hammer, and they cut back to Galactus and Ego, and Galactus says, "Well, I freed myself from those energy yeah, tentacles." I was so <laughs> bummed about that. Yeah, we didn't see that. I want to see it, but Galactus points it out, um, and now Galactus is is winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he got and, he turned the tables off camera. You know, so that that was just again, a, such a weird. Yeah. I, yep. And those energy tentacles that so there really are only six splashes in there. But that one panel with those weird pink and blue tentacles be- became a splash page in my mind because oh, I, yeah. I was so into that. I wanted to see these this, you know, planet spewing out space tentacles around Galactus. And I turned the page and was like, what? And then we never, we never came back to that. And I, just the way those were drawn are something totally different for Kirby. Um, it was mm. such a crazy, like Ditko-esque thing to do. 
mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to see more of it, and then it didn't happen. So I had a very big letdown to go back and see the recorder and Thor hanging out in a sh- in the ship again. Um, yeah, yeah. And I get the feeling that Kirby wanted to do this story a lot earlier, like uh, in the Black Galaxy saga, which was about a year ago, I think, um, at this point. Like Galactus shows up for one panel. He just like kind of like moves through the scene. It's almost like he walked in front of the camera by accident. Oh, it's like, sorry. No, you're not you're until sh- next month. Yeah. <laughs> On his way to the craft table. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, but there was uh, also at that point, I think they had just done they, they'd been doing a lot of like big, you know, widescreen cosmic stories. And and, and Stan and Jack had had a conversation. It's like, look, we can't just keep you know upping the ante here we need to bring things back down and so that's where like thor goes back to earth for a while and that's you know when he loses his powers the wrecker kills him and then he gets better and all that um but i get the feeling like this was what he wanted to do after uh after introducing ego the first time i think he wanted to bring galactus back in um and have that you know, just he's like, look, we, we just introduced a planet eater in Fantastic Four. I just gave you a living planet. Let's get these two guys together and make some magic. Um, but yeah, uh, and they, and they lean into it. Oh they yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I can remember um, when I actually can remember first reading this this book and wishing that Galactus would try to eat Asgard. Yeah, I thought that would have been, and I did that. That never happened, no. did it? I mean, but that's that's where Kirby was going with this. So he oh. got. So we'll get to this in about well, about eight months, I guess. But um, the the ending for the story, this story that that Kirby wanted to tell, was he wanted to have Galactus get so frustrated at Thor from what he did here that Galactus heads to Asgard. And devours Asgard, wipes out the gods, uh, the old gods, which gives rise to a, a race of new gods. And uh, okay. so that's where all this was going to go. And then um, there was some editorial interference uh, at the end. You know, I think there was a real reluctance to wipe out all of that, you know, <laughs> intellectual property that was showing up on Saturday morning cartoons at this point. And like nope, we we can't do that, Jack. We can't just get rid of Asgard. Um, and that was sort of, I think, from from the different retellings of the you know the behind the scenes situation, that is kind of the thing that really just pushed Kirby. He he was already leaning toward leaving Marvel and going to DC, but that was the thing that that got him to um, return the phone calls and and make the deal. So. Well, I'm glad those people weren't around when they filmed Thor Ragnarok because everybody gets wiped out in that exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that like that was kind of the the ending that Kirby had in mind for this story. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and you can see it like th- this this story right here really does feel like the bridge between Kirby's Marvel work and New Gods. Like, I mean, the Recorder feels very much like a New Gods character, like a, a Metreon type of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's so there's almost nothing tethering this to any sort of human. experience you know it's it's so alien and cosmic and and allegorical it's and there's also like not really a villain in the story there's just you know there's these forces of nature that have competing needs and that's all there is like hurricane versus earthquake yeah yeah (laughs) hey don't say that out loud sci-fi will make a movie out of it uh and i also like the fact that in hindsight what we find out years later 
like in FF two thirty five, two thirty six, something like that. That as soon as Thor left the planet, Ego ate the Wanderer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was more. So he was living up in his reputation as Peter yeah. Quill's dad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. By absorbing the Wanderers. Uh, it's just, yeah. So, I. I, I retract my statement. There is one villain in the story. Yeah. We just don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it pays off oh, later. Boy. Also, uh, one fun note is I was describing this um, just offhand to Barb, who has to sometimes suffer me talking about comic books for, oh, you know, hours, days, months. But um, <laughs> Hold on. Hold on to that one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she, she's been willing to my, yeah, my whole life. So, uh, I, but I was, this, I said, so Thor's hanging out with this guy called the recorder and she's like, does he look like a, like a, a flute, like the recorder you'd get, uh, in, in elementary school band. And I was, so now I've been just imagining the recorder as like this sort of towely, you know, South Park character with arms and, you know, just a recorder that walks around and talks and plays a little tune. Uh, <laughs> well, in Heroes Reborn, I'm sure they'll bring the recorder back as Freddy, Freddy's flute from uh, HR Puff and Stuff. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Oh, man. Well, it, uh, I can't. Can you believe that the same guy who did the Fantastic Four story this month also did this story? Like, these feel like, I mean, art wise, obviously, you know, it, Kirby's got such a distinct style, but talk about, I can't think of two more tonally different stories yeah. um and the fact that they came out of the same minds um that's just it's wild to me that's this is another reason why you know at the top we were talking about kirby he's he still can bring it he can bring it any t- time and bring very distinct ideas that are completely different and just execute them so well you know that's the other problem when we're talking about Steranko is like Steranko didn't always execute well he didn't always execute at all or finish his issues <laughs> uh, but what he did was you know interesting and innovative but it it just didn't have that kind of consistency and um, I wouldn't say realism because we're talking about Jack Kirby no. but it, it you know there's something to what he does that's um, so consistently good no matter whether we're grounded in a tiny village on earth or uh watching you know a space god fight his hamburger you know um Ooh. <laughs> there you go heroes reborn that's gonna be true. uh well that's uh that's our comics uh for this month um so uh, the only thing we have left to do uh, is maybe recommend something to our listeners uh, that is not a Marvel comic that came out in December of 1968. Um, I'll go ahead uh, with a recommendation that I, I can't believe that I haven't made yet, um, but I'm going to recommend Starman by James Robinson and Tony Harris. Uh, and later, uh, Peter Snedberg. Uh, I've never known how to pronounce his last name. Uh but sorry, Peter. Uh, I'm sure you're a listener. Uh, my it's it, Piotr, I believe. <laughs> I'm saying uh, it, Starman is my favorite comic book series of all time, um, and I, I I I will say up front, like I, I do 
get a little frustrated sometimes with DC's. Uh, they have a, a tone of super seriousness about their superhero legacies. Uh, you know, I just I can't keep a straight face when they're trying to convince me that it's such an honor for a child to wear the circus uniform so that they can punch crime with the flying mouse man um, who's superpower is an inability to process grief uh but <laughs> starman got it absolutely perfect i mean it is that story but it's so much more uh it's the story of a, the son of a golden age hero uh called starman um who at, he was a, a very extremely generic superhero of the time um he flew around he blasted baddies with a cosmic rod that looked like a personal massager um <laughs> but uh the the character uh, the main character of the story Jack Knight um, he's exactly as reluctant to buy into the whole thing as I was when I started reading it um, he's disaffected he's kind of a screw up uh, he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad at the start of the story um, he runs a vintage collectibles shop so right there you know I was on board uh, I was hooked immediately um, and over the course of the eighty issues or so like this there's this long slow evolution of the character and his relationships his heroic journey is very unique and it's intensely rewarding uh, at least it was for me um the first tattoo i ever got was jack knight's compass logo um my kid is named for three jacks and he's one of them um and uh dc the reason i'm recommending it is dc just solicited the first volume of a new collected edition of the series uh this month so along with your adventure zone pre-order um put in one for starman as well nice um well, I will uh, I will go next. I'll do a totally different direction. So um, some people uh, who are comics adjacent might know uh, there's a new show coming out um, called Sweet Tooth. And uh, there's a there's a great comic written, created, written and drawn originally by Jeff Lemire. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic story about uh children being born with sort of animal attributes and most children aren't being born at all. So, uh, it, you get this sort of very, this overlap of like children of men and, um, and then these mutations and other, it's dark as dark as hell, but, uh, it's, uh, it's very, it's a very cool post-apocalyptic view um, and they're, they're making a show out of it too. So that's going to be coming up, uh, soon. And I'm glad that Jeff Lemire is involved in getting, getting this thing off the ground. But, um, I think it was a good time to recommend. It's just yet another DC vertigo comic. Um, that whole imprint line, you know, we, we've recommended quite a bit of things from them from, and you know, that include Watchmen and V for Vendetta and Preacher and so much, uh, glorious comics work so this is you know it fits among them it's a little later than some than those pieces we we've talked about before it's a yeah i I highly recommend it it's just a great um it's great characters it's just a deep character read uh with these these kids and this really innocent kid trying to navigate this horrible horrible world uh yeah yeah i'm i'm a sucker for a good father-son story and this is that yeah um, yeah uh clint do you have anything uh, to recommend to our listeners um well there's this graphic novel series called the adventure zone <laughs> uh, <laughs> no um i got a couple i mm-hmm. guess since i'm not on every episode i i could do a couple uh one is um if you've never read the scout comics 
by Tim Truman that Eclipse did um, from like 1985 to, to whatever. Scout is a beautiful book. Uh, Truman is is an extremely gifted artist, uh, pretty decent musician too. Uh, and the Scout books were just, again, another post-apocalyptic kind of wild and crazy book that, that you know, a lot of people that I know and are, are friends with worked on, but it's a lot of fun. And if you want a palate cleanser, if you want to get away from the over angsty, dark, oh God, I've got to, how am I going to follow this continuity that's so dense? Go back and get on Comixology or whatever service you use and read the original Dial H for Hero books. Journey into Mystery 156 <laughs> to 173 was such a groundbreaker for me. As a kid, I loved him. Basically, this kid had the dial. He dialed it up. He came three superheroes, three different superheroes. And it's a lot of fun. It's really lovely to look at. Very clean art. I don't remember. I, I want to say Jim Mooney, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but those are those are a real blast and and can be very um, cleansing, can be very healthy for you just to read something that's fun that you don't have to, you know, know some kind of deep, dark canon to, to do. And, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, books are so dark now and so dense. And I, and I love it. I got no problem with that. Um, but it was like Bendis's run with Wonder Comics and the stuff that he did with Wonder Comics, the Legion and stuff. Mm -hmm. It just felt clean. And, and, and I, and I mean that from a narrative standpoint that, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's just fun to read. And yeah. you know, mm -hmm. sometimes there's nothing wrong with, with being dark and being intense and angsty, but I mean, sometimes it's, it's cool just to read something that's fun to read and, and can kind of take you away from the problems that you you've had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very up your diet a little bit. It's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Clint, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Um, let's get one more round of plugs, uh, plugs in. Uh, what can our listeners, uh, where can they find you? What should they be checking out that you're up, up to these um, days? TheMcElroyFamily.com. That's the website that has all of the stuff, all of our projects, all the podcasts. We do something like 177 podcasts. <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, yep. All the members of the family. Um, and, you know, there's merch and there's, there's other stuff. We've got some fun stuff that's coming out. Um, and when is this going to drop? Uh, two weeks from Wednesday. Okay. I have a children's book coming out. Ooh. Oh, congrats. Yeah, it's called Goldie's Guide to Grandparenting. And <laughs> it's a picture book, and I'm very proud of it. That's coming also from Macmillan. Macmillan is, is putting it out. Uh, but keep an eye out for that. I'm very, I'm very proud of it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I kind of used all of my grandchildren as inspiration for, for Goldie. And, and she's kind of a... Um, She's sort of like uh, the brain from Pinky and the Brain. She's, <laughs> she, she thinks she has a plan for world domination, and she's starting with her grandparents. So uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Pick that up if if you can if you can afford it. Very cool. We'll definitely nice. be checking that out. Uh, and Adventure Zone Volume Four. 
Um, it is, uh, it's, it's being solicited right now in previews. Call your local comic shop. Uh, it'll be hitting the stands in July. Um, you are not going to want to miss it. I, I've been an Adventure Zone fan for since the beginning. Um, and I will say that Crystal Kingdom was where I felt like the show really started firing on all cylinders for me. And I'm very excited to see uh, how that translates to the graphic novels. I've loved all of them so far. We really kind of felt like the end of Pedals to the Metal, that 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 was sort of the moment for us. We we're going, wait a minute, there's a little bit more going on here. And then Crystal Kingdom, it really kind of, kind of fleshed out and yeah. kind of revealed a whole bunch about the universe we were living in. So... So if you've ever wondered what the universe is all about, we'll tell you in graphic novel four. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, it, we can't promise to uh, reveal the secrets of the universe, um, but if you're a Patreon subscriber of ours, uh, you'll get access to extended cuts of our regular episodes, um, also full bonus episodes, and the omnibus supplementary episodes that cover just about every comic Marvel put out every month. Uh, you can subscribe for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Uh, if you give us a five star review on any podcast service and then send us a screenshot to Marvel by the month at gmail.com with your mailing address, we'll put some fun stuff in the mail for you. Marvel by the month.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. Uh, and I think that's all we got for you this week. So, uh, my name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Mel. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. In this episode, that month is December 1968. My, <laughs> then I have to keep talking. Let me try it again. <laughs>